Yeah. I mean, if I, if I had a dream for everybody, like it would be to, you know, let's get, let's get all our kids to ride bikes again. Right. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. Ann Christensen of Saris and the Saris Foundation is our guest for episode 53. The Saris Foundation has a new initiative called Bike Parks for Kids, and they're making a big push to create awareness and grant opportunities around bike parks and city parks and urban areas to help get more kids on bikes. This interview was recorded in December of 2021, so when you hear things like next year, Ann is really referring to 2022. Take a listen and learn more about Ann, Saris, and Bike Parks for Kids. Support for Trail Effect comes from Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Smith's is a full-service bike shop that is a retailer of Trek Bicycle Company and Salsa Cycles. Smith's also has a full enough components and accessories from Bontrager and other various companies. For more information about Smith's Bike Shop, go to www.smithsbikes.com. A special thanks goes out to Ben Wallenek of Mountain Bike Radio for supporting this podcast and to the people who have shared their time and knowledge. Without this, we would not have these stories to tell. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. Here we are today with Trail Effect. I have Ann Christensen. She is the Global Ad- Advocacy and Partnerships Manager at Saris. Saris is a company located in Madison, Wisconsin. And they do all sorts of different bike products. And they're also pretty steeped in the bicycle advocacy side of things. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. So how's it going today, Anne? Hi, it's terrific. It's a really good day. Let's get into your backstory briefly, just about how you found the bike in general as a child and how that's kind of shaped your life. And first off, thanks for pronouncing the company name correctly, or with at least the correct Midwest accent. Saris is actually the combination of our founder of our uh, our founders' names, Chris and Sarah, and so then they put them together to become Saris, which is very apropos since it's a family-owned business. So my backstory, really, I you know you can't sometimes when you talk to people who've been cycling their whole life, you can't really like pinpoint the exact moment that you said, "Oh, I I ride a bike. I am a cyclist." For me, that it was kind of that way, like. Uh, my very first bicycle was a uh, was given to me by my grandfather that I can remember anyway. I was about five, and he was a he was a mechanic and worked on a lot of lawnmowers. And he actually built the bike frame out of old lawnmower handles and parts. So that was my I called it my bicentennial bike because he painted it red, white, and blue because I got it in 1976. I guess that's giving away how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> but from a very early age, it, it sort of was like, you know, anytime anybody asked me what I wanted for Christmas or birthday, it was always something bike, 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 right? So coming forward into, you know, into my adult life, I definitely participated in in biking in more of a like 
I used it to like go to babysitting jobs and I used it to exercise, if you want to call it that, or, you know, ride back and forth from school or practice and things like that. And so it's always really just been a part of my life. So, yeah. And then you made a career out of it. And then I made a career out of it. I think you kind of manifest things like that, right? Like you, you, uh, you don't necessarily like position yourself, but maybe subconsciously you do a little bit. Like I didn't know that, you know, Madison area and the surrounding counties was sort of a bike mecca for, you know, anything cycling related. But, but when we when I first was, you know, proposed this idea of like moving to the area, the first thing I did was like, oh, I wonder if there's places to bike. And so of course you kind of put that in and all of a sudden you realize that Trek Bicycles is nearby. I mean, uh, Schwinn, the Pacific cycle that, you know, and Durrell Industries who, who, uh, ha- who has the rights to make Schwinn and Mongoose and Pacific cycle all were here and then CRS as well. And so it really, you know, sort of spoke to me in that way. So when I was asked like, hey, you want to move mass? I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 sure. <laughs> you just mentioned Trek. Before you were at Saris, you worked, you had a career at Trek. How was that? And how did you roll into that? And kind of what is your educational background? Yeah, my education is all marketing and design. Um, I what I ran my own business for a long time in marketing and design. And before that, actually, uh, got a mechanical engineering degree. So I sort of took the two things, loved design and loved the kind of, you know, that, that, that uh, building of things, I guess you should say, and kind of put them together into a career. So I did a lot of packaging work. But I was a, uh, I was an independent, you know, designer and, and definitely like showed up at Trek store and said, said, Hey, do you guys need somebody with my skills? You know, I'd love to like, you know, work with you. And so I really worked with them in, on InDesign for quite a long time and Pacific packaging work, uh, product design, anything that had to do with bicycles. I was there. So let's talk about Saris. What does Saris make for those that are unfamiliar? Yes. Um, so Saris makes bicycle, bicycle accessory products. Our mission is actually breaking down barriers between people and their ride. So we make things like bike rack carriers for your car. We make bicycle trainers so that you can take that lovely bike and, you know, those whatever it is, I think 8 million people that knew people that bought a bike last year and the last two years can actually like take that and actually use it in the wintertime. If they don't ride outside, we can throw it up on a trainer. And then we also do some infrastructure um, cycling infrastructure within the cities. So like when you're riding on the road and you have, we make these much prettier delineators between the bike lane and car traffic that are called wave delineators, which I think are super cool. You know, instead of like the orange cones that says, Hey, watch out. We make these nice reflective kind of, you know, makes this makes the city street actually look kind of nice. Um, as well as uh, bike fix repair stands and pumps and permanent things that actually you'll see on the bike paths. Wow. Yeah. So one of the things that Saris seems to be known for is advocacy. And they've been involved with all different levels of advocacy. Even I think when we talked uh, over the phone to kind of prep for this interview, you talked about how the founders were involved with the Boys and Girls Club. Let's talk about how giving back is important to Saris. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Thank you for for introducing it that way. I think, you know, just 
if you listen to if you heard what I just said about my background and cycling, what I had always recognized about Saris is how much of their soul is really in, you know, how to how to like improve kids' lives and how to and and really just what a bicycle can do for a person. They, you know, that speaks to me. I think it speaks to a lot of people about that. Like we believe in that power of the bicycle and the things that it can do for a person. And then, you know, we really, they really care about kids. And from a very early stage, every, you know, the company itself has always put their money where their mouth is, right? They always seem to have, you know, they're always looking at what different cycling advocacy organizations do for the do for your community, like being on the board for people for bikes. And that's, and Chris, Chris and Sarah Fortune are really like, this is kind of, I think why they, they do, they make the products that they do. It's to basically, you know, lead to how can we help kids? Chris was all, Chris and Sarah have always been involved with Catholic charities and fostering kids. And Chris was on the board for the boys and girls club. Actually very recently, they just moved in down the street from us to do a workforce development which I think was definitely part of that relationship that they have with Chris and really, really proud of all of the fundraisers and things that we do. And then, you know, on the specifically on bike advocacy, we're, we're, we take every opportunity there is to, you know, take what we make as a product and transition, trans, transform it into doing more good. So. Yeah. And it's, you know, living in Wisconsin, having those trainers, it's important uh, yeah. for winter. And how it's a, it's yeah. amazing to me how, like, I never would have, and maybe we should have known this with the way that digital age is gone, but who would have thought things like Zwift would even would be a exist? thing? Right, 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 right. Or any of those, you know, smart apps that um, give people the opportunity to experience cycling at a different level. Yeah, we're, I mean, you know, just kind of thinking about how, what cycling, you know, what we who have been in cycling all this time are trying to do with it is we're trying to just kind of, you know, widen the reach and expose people because there isn't too many cyclists that I, that I think are kind of wishy-washy about it. We're pretty passionate and I get that. But when you take the, when you take the things that it actually does for your mental wellness, your physical wellness, and, you know, and then essentially like, you know, kind of, kind of want, you really want to share that with people. So for a lot of us here and myself included, I think that uh, what we do here is, is really, we're passionate about it and it's kind of a calling. Yeah. So speaking of Saris and its advocacy, I mean, why I'm here today is because of the formation of the Saris Foundation, Bike Parks for Kids. And that really is this, you know, this evolution of their advocacy and then focusing it and centering it wholeheartedly on this mission that the foundation has brought to us. So. Well, you just spilled the beans, Bike Parks for Kids. That's where bike we're parks going. Bike Parks for Kids. You know, in looking at the Saris website, in doing more research myself on this, the first thing that was interesting to me was that that Saris decided to take this route. What's the backstory? 
with taking bike parks for kids or going that direction with advocacy? Chris had uh, for the past like at least at least over five years. I'm going to say seven years. He has been very very active in you know trying to to create initiatives that that increase cycling for the communities that you know for communities starting with with a 20 by 2020 which was in a kind of a local to madison initiative that was to increase ridership you know commuting ridership uh in the within in the city and the surrounding cities to increase to 20 percent of their you know their their i guess their life of biking right and from there, it really, for him, it was like, not that's not enough. Let's do more. Let's do more. And yes, that did things like, you know, connectivity of trails, connectivity of pathways and, you know, building more of that, more of that cycling infrastructure within a community. But he really wanted to like, you know, expand that reach. He also, uh, the Sarah's and Chris and Sarah both are extremely involved in World Bicycle Relief and the initiatives that they have, which is, if you're not familiar with World Bicycle Relief, you might be stuck under a rock somewhere, but um, <laughs> but the amazingly good things that that organization does, which is basically like through donation dollars, and they actually will build bicycles that they then, that are specifically sent to Africa in different of different communities there and and the people that are receive those bikes are you know use them obviously to like get back and forth to school and get back and forth to work and things like that so it's really made like i mean i don't want to speak too much about like how really awesome that is but i am actually working a lot with them these in currently because we have some big initiatives coming up with them but that led to Chris actually look, reaching out to some of the some of the agency um, city officials and said, "Hey, including the mayor at the time, to let's go let's go visit Zambia." And they they all hopped on a plane. It was you know, and Chris had kind of paid for the trip. He was like, "Let's go. I want you to see this. You know what that impact is. What the bicycle impact can be." Took them all on a plane, got got them there, and you know, spent the time actually like seeing how you know what the bicycle actually means, what that power of the bicycle is. And when he came back from that, he started looking for you know, there's also these this fun aspect of the bicycle. And at the time, he had uh, he had a, a son who was just reaching his kind of middle, his just you know, young teen years and, and was also somewhat concerned with the, with, you know, the things that those kids of that age don't really have a lot of opportunity or accessibility to do specifically riding the bike was somewhat troubling to him. Um, and I think as parents, I think you and I both can attest to, you know, somewhere there's become somewhat of a disconnect to, kids and riding bikes, it's not as natural. It doesn't come as the first thought in the kid's head to, I want to go to my friend's house, right? They they turn to you or they turn to me and they say, uh, can you give me a ride? And you're like, it's four blocks from here. You know, you got a perfectly good bike in there. Like, how did that stop connecting? 
And specifically for that age group, I think that the accessibility to electronics and to screens, which we want, I, you know, I don't want to use that term too much because there's good and bad in technology. And one of the bad things that can probably happen is it can maybe make things a little bit too easy, right? Like kid can talk to his friends and see his friends and not necessarily have to physically get up and go anywhere to do it. And, and Chris and Saris wanted to change that. So, so recognizing that there were these things called bike parks and they are a little bit more common in some of the more, in, in some international locations in the United States, I think that they're starting to become more common. He visited a bike park and, and it was probably not a light bulb going off, but it was like, it just kind of like made sense. All of a sudden the neurons connected in his brain and he was like, he was like, oh yeah, we need to figure out a way to like give kids this kind of safe and fun place to go to actually ride the bike, ride their bikes, not necessarily path paths or trails, because that's kind of a point A to point B, maybe a little utilitarian, but honestly, it's like, that's distance. But here now, if you look at a bike park, that's like a place that a kid can go, a parent can be sitting nearby, and the kid can be riding. And one of the things that also struck him was the age of the kid that, you know, that rides at a bike park. It was everybody. It was, you know, a four-year-old who was on a Strider bike on through to, you know, a young adult who were there because it's super fun, right? And it's got just enough, like, challenge to it that it'll just kind of keep you coming back more and more and more. You learn skill every time you go there. If you're a BMX rider, if you're a skater, if you ride skateboards or even scooters, like you guys understand this, you know, that like all you really need is the, is the, is the ramp. And now all of a sudden, you know, it's something interesting. It's a challenge for you. You want to go and like, you know, you want to, you want to master it. And that's what, what he saw in bike parks. So taking those two ideas, taking that, you know, there's this, there's this, bike park, it's, uh, can be asphalt and can be like a natural course, like a mountain bike trail and looking at, you know, how to, you know, just help kids have, a you know, have a cool childhood, have like, you know, a little bit more fun and, and really get them engaged with the physical person. Again, it was let's, let's really like, let's do this. So over the course of a few years, they took a lot of they took some of the proceeds of uh, and revenue, and actually uh, put it aside and earmarked it to create this foundation. So at the beginning of this year, it was they have a half million dollar endowment that they were able to launch the foundation. I remember the day that I went to the website because I was because I was looking at some other advocacy that they were doing. And I was like, oh, wow, that bike parks thing. That's pretty cool. I think I'm going to, I wonder how they do that. Like, that's really awesome. And I like, was like, I wonder if they have any jobs available. And I like scrolled down to the bottom of the page and clicked on careers. And the position that I have today was posted like that day. <laughs> it was probably the easiest, easiest cover letter I ever wrote. Um, had an interview and was hired, I think, within the next two weeks. So sort of a meant to be thing for me, 
maybe I manifested it a little bit. Like timing is everything. Somebody was up, up above was sort of saying like, hey, go check out this really cool, amazing thing, you know? So I do feel like it was sort of a calling that that got me here. But I'm really, really proud and really, really excited about what's going to happen with the foundation going forward. So, And a bunch of things popped into my head as you were telling this story. One of those things, and I'm sure you can relate to this pretty closely, is that it's, it's actually a common theme that I've heard a lot from people that I interview on this show, which is how did you get into biking? And a bunch of people have said, well, there is this vacant lot near my house. And we built dirt jumps on it, oh, yeah. you know, and, and we're talking, you know, people our age and that's something you don't see anymore. And so bike parks and bike parks for kids and what I always, I call them bicycle playgrounds too, are starting to fill that void because that, that became a void. And I don't know why, maybe it was because kids inherently just kind of got away from the bike, but now they're having that built for them. So when you were growing up, do you remember having those open spaces? That um, don't really yeah. exist like they used to? They they don't, do they? I mean, you know, the the bike that my that my uh grandpa made for me was, you know, my very first bike. And then a little bit later, you know, I had an older brother too, and who I would call like if there was a possibility of making a ramp out of something, he was doing it. The worst one, I only share this story and hopefully won't get him get us in trouble with my with my mom but we were in the barn which was like the forbidden zone at my grandparents house was to go into the barn and if you are familiar with the barn they have a hayloft do you know what a hayloft is okay so haylofts sometimes have like a dirt ramp that goes up into the barn so you can just drive the trailer up in there and like put the haystacks down well, my brother's big idea was to basically go to the ramp and then at the bottom of it was to build a jump for the bike, you know, for the bike. And uh, we thought for sure we were like, we're going to get in trouble. So we so we grabbed our bikes and went back there and and we were we were riding on this thing. And then my uh, my grandpa actually saw what we were doing and he built us these two. They were supposed to have motors in them. He built us these two dirt bikes. Now, my brother was the boy and he, yeah, he was older, but he was the one that got the motor and mine was just a push bike. Like I just got to push it. And so we brought those bikes home with us and we had where we lived, we had this like big open field in the back. And there was like a, there was like a, what you would, I would call today, like a dirt pump track back there. We just thought it was fun. Like it was just sort of this dirt path that somebody had cut in with their with their probably their dirt bike of some kind and we would just ride that ride those push bikes all over the place. So yeah, so I I really didn't even become reminded of that of that scenario of things until you know we had talked earlier about this about this podcast. I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> Maybe I really did make myself end up here somehow just by that being so much fun. But yeah. And then on the on the bike and the bike parks for kids, you know, it's it's now becoming a little bit more known as we talk about funding things and even and not even through foundations, but through like parks departments. Like yeah. You can put in asphalt pump tracks or you can buy, I mean, there's companies that actually manufacture different bike features. 
And it's no different than putting swings and slides in, in a park or paving a flat tennis court. And I don't want to bag on tennis courts, <laughs> but the reality is, is that it's not a lot different. I mean, we're talking about, no, it's, and it's not a lot different in terms of cost, I should say. Yeah, no. And I think uh, the perspective of parks. So let's, so let me, uh, let me give a kind of like a, an overarching kind of structure to this. So, you know, bike, bike parks are, are to imply that it's a, it's a single location and, you know, the, and IMBA, for example, like builds mountain bike trails and things like that. And, and then there's the public parks and recreation department who take care of like the playgrounds and soccer fields and tennis courts, the things that you typically see within a neighborhood park. And Amba does some, you know, great work and the, the exposure of mountain biking and how that's grown over uh, our lifetimes is pretty awesome. And now it actually has a name, right? Like people used to just take their bike and like ride downhill and at a ski jump or at a ski hill or something. And it now has a name and, you know, it's very popular. And those things are all needed. So there's, you know, now what we're, what the foundation is really focused on is this idea of, of making sure that this, that these spaces that are made bike parks are located in public spaces in the neighborhoods. And that, and, and it's, and for the parks and recreation department, it's about like, it's about like serving a greater amount of the demographic. It, you know, it's not just your, you know, your playground is kind of set up for the kids that are like, you know, two to two to six, maybe even seven. And then you have tennis courts that are, you know, you could probably get younger kids in there, but it requires more than one person to really be fun. Soccer fields, baseball fields, you probably could probably count every time you go to, to a park and you look over at the soccer field, unless it's an organized game of some kind, the it's potentially empty. Same thing with baseball fields. And, and uh, those be, it's because it's a group sport, right? Uh, and I did actually see some, and I don't want to like quote any statistics because, uh, because that's not where I don't want to like pit bike parks against anything. But what I, what I really want to do is I want to show that you know, a bike park can, you know, can actually expand usage of a public space, like a public park that's within a neighborhood. And, and that's really kind of the key. Bike parks can be small, they can be compact, they can, like you said, they can be pretty modular and simple with just a few features that are built out of wood or something like that, or just digging the dirt and, you know, making, making rollers so that kids can ride their bikes at the park. And those are some of the simplest solutions to like, you know, how to get more, how to get kids to come back to parks because they really do just like uh, there's a barrier between all of those things, which kind of circles back. I hate to even like sound like this, but like it circles back to like that mission means a lot to us is, you know, that breaking down of that barrier. So I will say this just this just dawned on me as we're talking about this. Both my daughters did learn how to ride their pedal bikes and they went straight from a strider type bike to pedaling and no training mm -hmm. wheels on vacant tennis courts. Right. Right. And, 
you know, it, they, they serve purpose. It, um, my daughter puts a, my, I remember the day that my daughter was learning to ride her bike and without the training wheels on and her experience was, she didn't want me to help. Like some kids are one way or the other, right? Like some kids are like, don't let go, don't let go. And my, and, and of course mine are the ones that like go inside, leave me alone. <laughs> and all she really needed was you know, the only direction I gave her was like, I was like, just walk up the hill that was in front of our driveway, just walk up the hill just a little bit and start from up there. Because that momentum, you know, does a couple of things. Like, obviously it helps the bicycle stay upright, you know, until they can like get their, get the, get the idea, get the feel for it. And the other thing that it does is it stimulates their brains because it's kind of fun. That motion is fun. And, and that's, those are the two magic potions that you need to like, that's what they need to feel is that it's fun. And all of a sudden they can learn to do it. And then there's an achievement. There's an accomplishment there that I think feeds them to do it again and again. Well, let's talk about where you've put this into motion. Speaking of motion, where you guys have started getting these bike parks for kids going. Yeah. Uh, we're located in the Madison area, um, Fitchburg, Wisconsin, to be precise. We have started in our own backyard, for sure. We have a, the Madison Parks Foundation is a local organization that, that is, is partnering with us and helping us with uh, potentially funding some of these sites in the Madison area. And our our very first a uh, accomplishment was actually with the city of Green Bay and the Baird Creek Preservation Foundation in Green Bay, Wisconsin. In the spring of next year, they're actually going to be breaking ground on building a full pump track and and bike park there. So that's our official first locate first Saris bike parks for kids, and then uh, we have a. A few projects that are still in development and design stage that are back here in Dane County. Recently, in the fall of this year, our, there was actually a grant that was formed that was announced. There were like four, four I guess, uh, grantees that were awarded some of this grant to build more bike features within uh, the county, within Dane County. So we're... We're hoping to be involved with some of those projects as well. In the very near future, we're going to be, we've already started meeting with Chris Cagle Foundation in Milwaukee to talk about potentially building bike parks within the city limits of Milwaukee too. So, Well, speaking of all this, how does an organization or a person or whoever may be interested, how do they find out more information or what is the path to potentially getting some funding? put towards their potential community bike park for a kid or a lot of kids and parents. Amen to that. I, I like how you phrased that question. It does. There's, there's more to this foundation, I think. So we are a grant maker that first and foremost, we understand that, you know, the, gr the grant making is really sort of seed money for the project, for the communities to be able to build these bike parks and stuff. But greater than that, it's about kind of connecting all of these different, you know, these different communities who have done this already 
and building that network of support behind, you know, the concept is proven in other state and other cities if there's not one in your in your area. And I'm speaking to someone who actually has a bike park in their in their area. So so you'll understand what I mean by that. So we are going to be more, you know, we we are going to be granting, we have a grant application that's out. It will be um, closing January 31st of 2022. And the grant will be up to about $25,000 per project. We hope to, we hope to, to uh, fund at least five, um, find, find five grants to, to fund and get bike parks built. And then from there, it's, you know, supplying resources, communicating with those, with those grant recipients, as well as, you know, uh, other applicants who, you know, maybe aren't far along in the process to, to merit having the, you know, the project may not be far enough along. So we want to help them try to get there at some point, you know, it's about a movement, like, like, you know, just really getting that big boulder rolling downhill so that they're, so that these become more common. And then it's education and fun and helping them fundraise, you know, helping them own this and, and, you know, support it and show their, their communities and getting communities involved in this so that it's, it's kind of more of a grassroots. And you guys have a PDF on your website. That's pretty informative. Oh, thanks. Yeah. 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 We just finished that. That was a sincere team effort. It was a you know, we were, we're also doing some blog and newsletter things that are, you know, hopefully will help inform and help educate people on, you know, on what a bike park is different, different design aspects. Like, you know, really there's I I like to use Imba's example because I think they just really like kind of knitted it up really well by saying, you know, there's, there's little pocket parks that you can build in linear parks. That's kind of like, you know, a proving ground for, for where you might want to potentially put a bike park on through to like huge neighborhood parks where they're like, you know, five and six loops and all different skill levels and things like that, which is super important for a bike park is to not like, you know, just like target like one, uh, you know, one skill level or one age group, like maybe a playground does where like kids age out of it, but like, you know, making sure that you can, what at whatever level you are, you you enjoy going there, as well as site selection. So you know, like we had, and just circling back to like public space, like public parks are put in certain spots for a reason. They've dem- they I've identified certain things like usually near a school, so there's like kids nearby, right? Or families and kids live nearby, and and. AARP actually has a really nice goal of making sure that there's an accessible park within 10 minutes of walking from you, where you live. And we really like that. We think that's that's exactly what, you know, if you're going to pick a perfect site location for a bike park, that's what it should be, you know, is a rideable distance. It's accessible by kids where they are near them. So you, you said the word seed money. Yeah. So one of the things that we've learned in lacrosse, and it was a thing that IMBA came out with, is their trail accelerator grants, which was a grant specific to planning. And I think that's where yeah. a lot of people kind of miss the boat because there's there's a lot more funding opportunities available when plans are already completed and you have a project ready to go. 
And there's a lot of ideas for what could be done, but there's a gap from idea to ready to build project, right? Yeah. And so getting, having seed money so you can actually develop a proper plant set actually unlocks more funding and helps market a project better in terms of to community officials, to Mm -hmm. potential funders, because, you know, you never know what community foundation or what philanthropist within a community might want to fund something, you know, maybe they had some kind of similar interest when they were a child and now they're in the, in the position to provide some help, you know, for a potential project. But if, if you're trying to sell them on an idea, they might not be ready to go. But if you have that plan and you have that vision that actually has like legitimate, tangible stuff behind it, stuff really takes off. And so the trail accelerator grant did really accelerate trail construction. And I can yeah. see this being yeah. very similar in terms of bike parks for kids. It is and it isn't. So the and and the IMBA Trail Accelerator grant is like you said, it's very specific to that design plan. Because that is, I think that's kind of where people kind of lose it. Like they have the vision and they have the possibly like, you know, a potential connection to a city official or within their parks and recreation department. But there's a lot of there's a lot of other things like like the actual the actual building of the park that the that our grant will actually be there to fund. Okay, so it is about creating like, you know, a there's a there's a bit of a confidence also in in matching donors. Uh we actually ask for within our grant one of our criteria is to actually have matching grant money coming from the city. Uh, in the amount of the grant that you'd receive from from the Sarah's Foundation, and what we believe that that does is it 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 helps the city sort of commit to the idea that this is for the long term, okay. And I believe that city officials, people working within the DOT, I've noticed now that like the Department of Transportation actually sort of gets involved in the conversation about this because I think it's bikes and that might fall in some cities under their authority. Uh, but, but what I, I see is, is the, is this, this, everyone is willing, they want to be able to do this and how to fund it is when they don't know how much something costs to actually build, which is where IMBA comes in is like helping you understand, like, you know, what you design equals what you can spend on building it. We will then our grant actually takes over from there and says, we'll help fund the building of this, which then leads to the city official or that city agency like to, to take a little bit, they're more confident in it. And then likewise for corporate donors or, or you know, private donors who also want to contribute to this, you know, they see that there's willingness from the city to that this will actually happen. So no donor ever wants to say, okay, we're going to give money to this. Let us know if it happens. They usually want to give money when they say it will happen. And this is when it's happening. Right. So we want, we want communities to, to design what they want to design, you know, build the park that makes the most sense for them. Be aware and, and intentional about your location. Think a little bit about that, you know, like, how close, uh, how, where, where do kids live? Where, where, where they have access to it? 
because really it's not about like building the bike park. It's to like, you know, make it so easy for, for kids that they, you know, that they go there. So that's, I hope I answered that. Uh, oh, for sure. Well. And that was in, in a couple of those things that you hit on were, were in the Imba Trail Accelerator grant, grant application process, you know, like I filled out the grant for our community. Oh yeah. Trail Accelerator grant. And one of the questions was, well, first of all, you had to have a grant matching sponsor. And in our case, it was our city parks department, you know, so the city was bought into it. And the city really liked that because they're like, oh, we can double our money. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. You know, so they, look, they looked at it, you know, from, from that angle. But in the, in the application, one of the questions was specifically, where is the nearest school? Yes. And what's, yes. And what's the proximity of that school to where you're wanting to put this, this project? You know, and in our case, it was less than a half mile away. That is an important part because one of the things, and this has definitely been talked about a lot more, especially with bike parks, is how can you lower that barrier of entry for everyone, mm-hmm. especially kids that may be underserved or underprivileged? How do they get to this bike park when they may not have parents that are willing or able to get them to these facilities? How do they get there on their own? And lowering that barrier and getting them so they can get there on their own is super important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and, uh, and really, if you think about it's, a, it's kind of a no brainer really to, to say it's gotta be in a public park mainly because that's free to everyone. That's a big deal. Right. And the space is already there and the school and, you know, the location of a school may seem to the, to the public as being somewhat random, right? Like, but it's not. Public parks are located and schools are located in very specific, like studies and surveys have been done to say, this is how much of the population lives nearby. You know, what, how can we get as many of those kids into school? That's like their goal is to make sure that, you know, whatever the circumstance of a child is, we want them to go to school. So we will build these things in places that they can get to very easily. So it makes perfect sense to just, you know, that's that we're just going along with that, that, you know, philosophy that if we locate these as much as we can near schools, near public parks, that will probably hit the demographic that we want to. If I have a minute to talk about like, you know, some really cool stories about like inner city very urban locations of bike parks, if you don't mind. I, oh, I sure. Really... Please do. So I did, uh, I did a little interview, obviously, like research myself, like, you know, what is good site selection? And I came across, came across the Chicago Parks District project that's that when they built a bike park in a place called Big Marsh. And it's the south side of Chicago. Um, and they, the, the parks director there really gave me this excellent insight on, on how they got that park built there. There are these like sometimes abandoned spaces within an urban area or condemned in some aspects, like, you know, the industrial age did a number on some of our urban areas and things have changed over years. Right. And now all of a sudden you have either vacant lots or you have you have places like Big Marsh that sort of needed some help, needed some 
you know, environmental help to get them back to be usable spaces. And so what they did was they actually had a bunch of had some had some environmental groups come in and like, you know, did did some evaluation, realized that, you know, there was some contamination, there were some things that they needed to do to the land. And there actually are federal grants out there that will that are specifically for like, you know, reclamation of, you know, of contaminated property and things like that. It's not cheap, okay, to do that. But what they did was they actually uh, ended up, um, I think it was like, they had to like, put like three feet of clay down over the top of the land. And then they built the bike park on top of that. But the the goal, the the thing is that that's why that's so incredible is that they were able to like make that place back to a, you know, back to its more natural state. And it's a really actually pretty beautiful. It doesn't even look like it's in an urban area because of the fact that there's a marsh nearby and things like that. But it, but it's so close to, you know, where kids live in the South side of Chicago. I just, I just love that, that whole project. So. Yeah, that is a great example. And we can link, you know, I try to link everything that's talked about into the show notes. Yeah. And so we'll put a link for Big Marsh too in there. With that being said, is there anything you want to close with? Any insight from Anne or words of wisdom? Um, yeah. I mean, if I if I had a dream for everybody, like it would be to, you know, let's get let's get all our kids to ride bikes again, right? If you have interest in like building a bike park, like I highly recommend, you know, check out our website, sarasfoundation.org. Um, and, you know, start taking a look at it. There's definitely, there's a grant application on there. It's open to anyone, you know, especially if you're just like, we don't care if you're just dreaming about it or if you have a project that's already started and you're, you know, just needing some help getting it over the finish line. We're happy to help take a look there. And, you know, the next time that, you know, if you know of a, of a bike park, nearby or you know just go do a google search and visit one i mean i think you'll see the the magic that happens at a bike park just by going there on on any given tuesday afternoon you know i i think that that's probably the thing that maybe changes people seeing is believing right that these things are are kind of magical when they happen and also like, you know, check in with your, with your parks and recreation department, especially if you are s- sincerely interested in, in, in building one of these, they have agendas, you know, and, you know, even just asking the questions, do you guys, you know, what are your plans for like building possibly bike parks or bike features in the city or in, you know, in the area? Do you know of any projects? Like just find out if there's ways for you to get involved and volunteer or, if there is a bike park that you do know of that's in your area, there's volunteer days to go clean up or, you know, to, you know, help with all kinds of different maintenance aspects. I'm sure, you know, there's, there's, there's all kinds of different ways to get involved in the movement. So. Yeah. And, you know, conversations like the one we're having right now are becoming far more common. And so it's, this type of stuff is getting on the radar of a lot of parks directors and a lot of park officials across the world, you know? And so starting those conversations isn't going to be as foreign today as it may have been five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think there's, I think it's less about the, you know, the cycling community that's really talking about this. And I think a lot of, you know, a lot of other groups, community groups are are starting to, to incorporate bikes into, in a more massive, more massive way so that we can just, you know, serve our whole community. I'll also say too, that like, you know, if you're really inspired by this podcast and inspired to you know, donate. There's, there's definitely opportunities for that. In the new year, we are going to be launching, uh, and the ability to donate to, to, uh, to us, to a park, the project that we're going to be involved with. So be also be watching for that. Well, thank you, Anne. I really appreciate yeah. you taking the time out of your day to, to be a part of this podcast. And so we can share everything about Saris and about Anne Christensen and bike parks for kids. Yeah. Thank you so much. I just want to say thanks, Josh, for like reaching out. And, and I know that uh, this is just, you know, I feel like this isn't the last conversation we're going to have, you know, this movement kind of like, I just, I just appreciate you, you know, getting that voice out there. It's, it's just really great to, to start being opened up to all the new friends that we, that we're making. So for sure. Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed in the show can be found in the show notes. Our next episode will feature World Cup downhill racer Nico Malali and Ride Canuga Bike Park. If you like what you have heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. This podcast has been made possible by Mountain Bike Radio, Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and is an Evolution Trail Services production. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature on Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.